0: So, Lord, we give this time to you, committed to you in the teaching of the word of God. Teach us, Lord, now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. As we will dismiss the middle schoolers, they will be going upstairs to remind parents again that starting next week, actually starting tomorrow, uh, New Year's Eve, that they'll go ahead. You can sign your kids in upstairs in the youth room for the middle schoolers, and they'll be having worship up there. But this morning, we are going to continue in our study in the book of Romans. We'll be in chapter 6. We went as far as verse 15. So if you will turn there in the book of Romans, and we'll begin reading that verse 15. If you need a Bible, Jerry has them in his hands. Just raise your hand. He'll hand you one. There's some towards the front platform. We want you to read God's Word with us as we go through this incredible book of Romans, chapter by chapter, in verse by verse. So, Romans chapter 6, we started to look at chapter 6 last week, but uh, it was a while ago that when uh, I was reading this article, I read a statistic that they surveyed uh, pastors and Bible teachers, and they asked them if there was one book of the Bible that you had to teach, what would it be? And over 80% said that they would teach through this book, the book of Romans. And it is indeed such an incredible book for us to study and to understand. And we know that all the books of the Bible are important for us to take in the whole counsel of God's word. And really my prayer and hope for you in this coming new year that so you would have a desire to continue in the Word of God, coming here and learning as we go through the books of the Bible, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, that you would uh, continue in your own reading, just taking in the Scriptures, because we're going to once again talk this morning about the importance of doing that. But the Book of Romans certainly is a very unique, very powerful uh, letter that Paul wrote to the Christians there in Rome as he was at the end of his third missionary journey and he had been collecting um, funds uh, collection from the saints there, the believers, in uh, Macedonia, Achaia, in Greece there. He's going to take it to the saints in Jerusalem because they were going through famine, going through a difficult time. And as Paul uh, sits down In the city of Corinth at the end of his third missionary journey, he begins to write to the Christians there in Rome. He had never been to the city. He knew many of the Christians there because we're going to see at the end of this book that he's going to greet a number of them. But we also know that Paul, he desired to go to Rome. He said that I desired to come to you. He had learned a lot about the church, their faith and their love. And he says that I'm hindered from coming to you right now and I'm ready to come to Rome to preach the gospel. And we know that Paul, he would leave Corinth, he would make his way to Jerusalem. He eventually would get to the city of Rome, maybe not in the way that he expected or thought. Uh, he would go as a prisoner. Uh, we know he went to Jerusalem. He is accused wrongly of taking Gentiles to the temple. The city rioted. He would go through this legal nightmare for actually the next four years, two years in Israel, as he stood before Festus and Felix, the governors uh, there in Israel at Caesarea. He would also stand before Agrippa there in the amphitheater of Caesarea. He would give his testimony. He appealed to Caesar. He was a Roman citizen. So they said to Caesar, you shall go. He gets on a boat. He goes to Rome, of course. You read at the end of the book of Acts the difficulties and and trials uh, just getting to Rome as the ship would uh, break up. He found himself floating in the Mediterranean Sea being washed up on the island of Malta. But when he gets to Rome, he's a prisoner. He's there under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard for two years before he makes his appearance before Caesar Nero and then would be released at that time for only a short time. Caesar Nero would then give the order to have Paul rearrested about five years after he is first released, to be thrown into a dungeon this time, and then he would give the orders to have Paul be executed. So Paul here, as he's writing to them, he, he's writing to them about, I'm ready to preach the gospel, and then he gave the theme that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And what my hope and prayer for every single one of us that are here this morning, that we would never be ashamed of the gospel that we would never be ashamed to give the gospel to anyone that it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. And so Paul then begins to give his case that we all have need of the gospel, that we all stand guilty before God. And in the rest of chapter one, he talks about the one who suppresses the truth, the one who worships the creation rather than the creator, the idolater, the one who's immoral. Uh, they're guilty before God. But then in chapter two, wait for you who is the self-righteous person who thinks that they have done good enough to earn heaven, you are guilty as well. And he kind of sums it all up as we've all have gone astray. No one seeks God in in chapter 3 verse 19 that he summed it up by saying all the world is guilty before God but we're not left in that condition are we and then he presents the gospel in that in the doctrine of justification he begins in verse 21 of chapter 3 and he tells us that we are justified freely by his grace through faith through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus And it's important for us to understand and for every Christian to understand is that you cannot work or earn or merit your salvation. Jesus did it all. That old hymn that we sing, Jesus did it all. And on the cross, he would cry out, it is finished. Te telestai. I have done the work. I've paid the price for sinful humanity. And that's why Paul says that we're saved by grace through faith. As we have the unmerited favor of God, we are justified freely that we means that you cannot earn salvation you cannot purchase it and then in chapter four he writes to him who works the wages are not counted as grace but as debt and how many people do we know even some who say though i'm a christian and they think they're going to make it into heaven because they've earned it They've they've earned salvation. I've done good. Uh, I've done this religious act. I was a part of this religious church or whatever the case may be. And there are people around us that we know that we talk to that they think that they're going to be able to stand before God in their own righteousness and say, I've merited heaven. And Paul says, no. That we're all guilty. Matter of fact, he's going to end the chapter here by telling us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And in chapter five, as he continues with this doctrine of justification, we end it with Paul writing something amazing. He says, "We're sin abounded, grace abounded much more." I would think that where sin abounded, that his wrath and his judgment would abound more. But he says his grace abounded more. So as we moved into chapter 6 last time, chapter 6 through chapter 8, we move from the doctrine of justification, being declared righteous. It's a legal term that our salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ. The doctrine of justification to the doctrine of sanctification. And of course that term, sanctification, means to be set apart. And the reader who's reading what Paul is saying may protest and say, well, if we're saved by grace, if if sin abounded, grace abounded much more, why don't we just go out and continue in sin? So, in these three chapters, which I think are some of the richest and most powerful chapters that we have in the New Testament, we're going to understand about what it means to to live in grace, that we are free to live for Him, because we find ourselves at the end of 2018. And there, of course, as we walk with the Lord, we're saved, we're born again by the Spirit of God, we can struggle. We can struggle with the flesh. Jesus would say to his disciples that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Paul addressing in these three chapters that we are set apart for him, not for sin. We're not set apart to live after the flesh, to live for ourselves, to pursue sin, and to live in sin. He began the chapter by saying, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, certainly not. And as we saw that Paul would say that it is us that as we come to Christ that we identify with him. So people may think that, well, since I'm justified freely by his grace that is in Christ Jesus, that means I can go out and live any way that I want. And there are even Christians that feel that way. And Paul, he writes to these Christians 2,000 years ago, and it's for us as we end 2018, because this is God's word given to us, as he says, no, no that you live for Christ, you are free. We don't continue in sin because, as we saw last week, if you were with us in our study, we identify with Christ in this newness of life. The old man, the old woman is dead, buried with Christ, buried with him through baptism unto death. And now we have this new life, this resurrected life that we live in, and we're new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And now we walk in the newness of life. So we identify with Jesus Christ. In verse 6, our old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And we are to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin and alive unto God. We are to present our bodies as instruments of righteousness to God. And as we do, sin will not have dominion over you. So as we follow the flow of what Paul is declaring to you and to me in this doctrine of sanctification, I identify with Christ. Uh, The old man, second of all, has been crucified with Christ. Thirdly, I live in this newness of life for Christ. And then fourthly, I present myself as an instrument of righteousness. I reckon it to be so. I'm free from sin. And why do we want to be free from sin? Well, let's continue reading in Romans chapter 6. We read in verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know? We've seen that term repeated over and over again in this chapter. He says, this is important. Do you not know, understand this is what he's saying, that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom uh, you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So why do we want to be free from sin? Because you don't want to be serving that sin. You don't want to be enslaved to it. Sometimes when we talk with people, perhaps you've had somebody say, well, I don't want to be religious because I I don't want to be under rules and regulations. I don't want to have to answer to God. Uh, I I want to be free. I just want to be free to believe what I want to believe. There are even sometimes Christians that say, "I, I don't want to to take this Bible thing too serious, I don't want to, to go to church, I, I, I don't want to read the Bible, uh, I, I don't want to take this Christianity thing too serious, because they believe in their minds that religion, Christianity is too restrictive, it's do's and don'ts, perhaps maybe some of you grew up in a church where there was a lot of emphasis, legalistic emphasis on do's and don'ts and rules and regulations and duty and all of this. And sometimes people will think, I want to be free to do what I want to do. And this chapter tells us the way to be free and true freedom is living for Jesus Christ, living for him. You see, if you live after the world or live for yourself or you live after sin and carnality, remember this, that Satan, who is called the god of this world, little g., that he desires to enslave you. He desires to put you in bondage. He's a deceiver. He wants people to think that the way to freedom is to live after the world, live in carnal- carnality, be carnally minded, pursue sin in worldly pleasures. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, the apostle warns us. He says, don't you know that your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? And if any of us have the mindset of, I'll do what I want to do, I'll live any way that I want to live, I want to go out and sin, even if you think that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, so I might as well go out and sin because I'll just, you know, that's what it means to live in grace. No, living in grace means, as we have seen already. living for him but if we live after the world and go out and sin and pursue it if you enter into the enemy's territory you're going to be pounced on he's going to bite you he's going to rip you apart and he's going to enslave you and you will be enslaved to sin in the world be in bondage to it and that is why it's a loving father that says I love you And I've saved you. I've brought you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Why would you want to go back to the darkness? I saved you by sending my son to die for you. So we've already seen that God's love is declared not only in his word given to us, but proven to us on the cross of Calvary. And if you really want to be free, because I don't want you to be enslaved, I don't want you to be hurt, then submit to me, the Lord says to us, and walk with me and know me. And I'm going to give you the power to walk in a way where you won't have to get caught up in sin and enslaved to it. And as we go into chapter eight, he's going to tell us how it is the power. Of course, we know it's the power of the Holy Spirit as he dwells in our hearts. He will empower us. So, the question for all of us this morning, in the honesty of our hearts, as we find ourselves at the end of the year going to start a new year, is this Who is your master? Who's your master? Either sin and the world is your master or the Lord is your master. Do we really want to be free? I think that if I was asked, do you want to be free? I don't think there's anybody that's here this morning or goes through the services this morning saying, I don't want to be free. I just want to be in bondage and I want to be miserable and I want to be tied up and, and all of this. None of us are thinking that. But being free or being enslaved to the world is determined by our master. And I think that two key words in verse 16 that we just read is present, number one, or it may be if you have a King James in your lap, translate it yield. And then second of all, whom you obey. That determines who you are a slave to, a servant. He uses that word doulos in the Greek. Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? He says, no, certainly not. This is the second time that we have seen him use that term in this chapter. He's saying, no way in the strongest terms. Because if you're living a life of sin, then the world and the enemy Satan is your master. And you we might recall in our study of First John uh, this summer that John, he's writing to the church He is very direct as he's writing to them. He says that you're in the world, but not be of the world not to have a love for the world. We're to love people in the world, but not to love the world's system, the world's ways, and the world's pleasures. And he says, he who sins is of the devil. Now we know that on this side of eternity, we're not going to be sinless. We're not perfected. Even Paul would write to the church of Philippi, not that I'm already perfected or have attained. We still struggle. The intents of the hearts, the thoughts of the hearts and minds, that we fall short. But as he's saying, that he who sins as the devil, you might remember in our study that it means the one who goes out and practices sins, lives in sins, continues to sin with no conviction, no desire to turn away from that sin or ask God for help to free you from that sin. Jesus spoke about this very subject when he said that there are those who honor me with their lips but their hearts are far away. It is Jesus that say, why do you say you love me but not keep my commandments? So whatever you yield to becomes your master. And in Paul writing to draw attention again to verse 16, you are the one slaves who you obey. Remember, it was Jesus that said you cannot serve two masters because you will love one and hate the other. In 1 Kings chapter 18, the fiery prophet Elijah he would say to the people of Israel, he said, how long are you going to be between two opinions? If Baal is your uh, God, then worship him. If, if Jehovah is God, then we need to, to worship him. And he, of course, would issue this challenge to call down fire. And, uh, and the Lord Jehovah, as he prayed, of course, showed himself that he is the only true God. But he was saying, how long are you going to be between these two opinions? How long are you going to straddle the fence? And there are many Christians, I believe, that they're in a place that's a miserable place because they got one foot in the world and they got one foot in the kingdom and they're straddling the fence and they're back and forth. They got too much of God in them to be comfortable in the world and they got too much of the world in them to be comfortable with God. And it's not a good place to be. And Paul asking, are you going to obey sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? In chapter 8, Paul will write, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And if you want to, any of us, have the stench of death in your soul and in your spiritual life, just be carnally minded. Pursuing the world, pursuing sin and carnality, and you'll find that you'll end up being enslaved to it. Now being carnally minded, we'll talk more about it when we get to chapter 8, doesn't mean that I'm going out and, and practicing this notorious sin. It means that I am pursuing the things of the world and, and that's a priority for me. I, I'm carnally minded. And unfortunately, there are many messages in the church today that causes Christians to be carnally minded. Hey, what's in it for me? I can name it and claim it. I want that prosperity and the best of me and, and you know, the champion in me. And you need to repeat to yourself that you're not that bad. That's what we're hearing today. And Christians end up treating God like a celestial Santa Claus. To be carnally minded, he says, is death. It just brings death to your spiritual life. And we are deceived into thinking that the things of the world and the priority of the world, there's nothing wrong with God blessing us. He blesses us. Every good gift comes from above. But when we prioritize it, we pursue it, we're thinking about it constantly. We think that we'll be fulfilled, we'll be satisfied. And we know that the way to lasting true happiness and fulfillment is to be spiritually minded and you will truly experience peace in life. We know that from Solomon's life. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon who had it all. He had all the wealth. He wore golden sandals. He had all a thousand wives and concubines. He had buildings. He had horses. He had gold. He had silver. He had parties, you know, with the wine flowing and it would make Hollywood blush. The extravagance, the wild animals, you know, exotic animals at the parties. He had it all. There was no more to have for Solomon. And he says, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. It's emptiness is what he says. There's nothing new under the sun. And as we pursue the Lord, that's where true joy comes in and blessing and fulfillment and satisfaction. It isn't going to come by the world or being carnally minded. But as we continue, but God in verse 17, be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were were delivered What is being said here, you were slaves of sin, past tense, no longer. You've been free from being slaves to sin. We were set free because of our faith in Jesus Christ. You obeyed from the heart. We don't want to miss that because it's a heart issue. And whatever is in your heart will be worked out in your life. I'm going to say that again. Whatever is in your heart is going to be worked out in your life. And if the love of Jesus is in your heart, it will show in how you live your life. You obey from the heart, Paul writes. And then he writes that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Form a doctrine. It means to be instructed. You have been instructed by the word of God. It is in your heart. And that's why it's so important that the word of God just isn't up here in our minds. We get it down into our hearts that our hearts are like fertile soil taken in the seed of the word, that it may produce fruit there. And even as the psalmist would write in Psalm 119, which I think was David, he writes that thy word I have hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. And that word mold that he uses here means to mold, to shape molten Metal. He's shaping us, molding us to obedience. The Word of God does that work. Remember Hebrews that the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword. It does a work in our hearts. And once again, as I did last week, I want to emphasize the importance of systematic teaching through the Word of God, which we will continue to do here at Calvary Chapel going through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse but I also want to encourage you personally as you enter into this new year read your Bible every single day read your Bible don't put it aside but pick up your Bible and start your day with the word of God ask the Lord to show you to teach you to get the word of God into your heart it will mold you it will shape you it will grow you mature you Read your Bible. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We hear a lot about being free in our culture today. The mindset and philosophy and cultures, be free, uh, do what you want, live the way you want, believe what you want, but most people don't understand how to be truly free in the best sense of the word. Pursue the world. Pursue your own thing. Luke chapter 15, many of you know this story, the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. He knew that he had an inheritance coming. He says to his father, I want my inheritance. I don't want to be under your roof. And I'm sure that when the father heard those words, that his heart sank. I don't want to be under your rules. Give me the goods so I can go out and be free to do what I want. So he leaves. He goes out and he spends his inheritance on prodigal living, or that is sinful living. It tells us that that, that son wasted his possessions. He spent all his money on, on, on you know, being immoral, in and, and drinking, and, and pleasures. And when his money was finally gone, his friends left him. He finds himself alone. And he finds himself in the pig pen. And he's feeding the pigs, but he's so hungry, he ends up eating pig slop and food to feed himself. And when he came to himself is what Dr. Luke writes there in that parable, inspired by God to say that. When he came to himself, which means that he came to the end of himself. Again, so much is what is being taught today. Is that you need to focus on self. You need to think about self. You need to love yourself. You know what I think part of the problem is, a big part of the problem is, we're so full of ourselves. And the Bible comes along and says, you need to deny yourself. You need to humble yourself. And that's what he did. He humbled himself. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, is what Jesus said. And when he came to himself, he said, it's better to be a servant in my father's house that greater freedom will be than being here in the pig pen. And he turns towards home, and I'll go home and I'll tell my father, I'm no longer to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And when he was still a great way away, we read in that parable that the father saw him. And I think, how did the father see him when he was a great ways away? I think that the father, every single day, went to the edge of the road looking for his son. And if you're here this morning in a backslidden state and you've been pursuing sin or carnality, the Lord is looking for you this morning to return, to come home, And it was the father that went to the edge of the road looking for a son. And and that day when he sees him, Jesus says the father girded himself so he could run to meet his son. And he had compassion, the father did. And he greeted him and wept over him and kissed him and killed the fatted calf and gave him a ring and new garments and bring him to the feast. Listen, if you are backslidden today, if you're away from the father, if you are in compromise, the father is looking for you to return. And know this, if you really want freedom, because you think that freedom is living after the world and living after sin, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in the pig pen, hungry and enslaved to it. and you're just slopping around in the mud of the world. It is a loving father that says to you on this day, if this means anything to anyone this morning, he says, "Look to home." Come home and don't serve sin any longer, but serve me. And when he sees a heart that is turned back to him, he restores and he forgives and he embraces. If you've been away, you come back today. He loves you and he wants you to have true freedom. Do you really want to be free? Culture screams at us. Be free to do what you want. Live any way that you want. And we see a world and people around us that they are not free. We see today people that are more anxious and and more confused and more depressed and more upset and, and more defeated than ever before. And they are in bondage to sin and darkness and deception and hopelessness. And to have freedom means is to come to Jesus Christ and he will set you free and to live for him. The one who declared to be the way, the truth, and the life. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We serve the one who died for us, who bled his life into the ground for us. And desires for us to put ourselves under his reign. And that is where true freedom is found. And then Paul writes in verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have, verse 21, then, in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So there's a result to all of this, isn't there? If you are slaves to uncleanness and lawlessness, it's going to lead to more uncleanness and lawlessness. That's the fruit that's going to lead to death. But being slaves to God, your fruit will be to holiness, to life, to eternal life. It's very similar to the spiritual law that is given to us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and eight. DON'T BE DECEIVED, GOD IS NOT MOCKED. FOR WHATEVER A MAN SOWS, THAT HE WILL ALSO REAP. FOR WHOEVER SOWS TO HIS FLESH, WILL OF THE FLESH REAP CORRUPTION. AND WHOEVER SOWS TO THE SPIRIT OF THE SPIRIT, WILL REAP TO EVERLASTING LIFE. THAT IS THE SPIRITUAL TRUTH THAT IS FOR EVERY PERSON, EVERY MAN, EVERY WOMAN. NO ONE IS exempt. YOU WILL, NOT THAT YOU MIGHT. YOU WILL REAP WHAT YOU SOW. So whatever you sow today, there will be a harvest tomorrow. So the other question that we can ask ourselves at the end of this year and moving into a new year is this, what are you sowing? What is it truly that you're sowing? Sometimes people will come talk to me when they find themselves in serious repercussions or consequences because of sin. They pursued it. They didn't turn back. And they are surprised by it. I say, I wasn't hurting anybody. I didn't think anybody would find out. They were deceived. Surprised that all of a sudden rotten fruit came forth. If you are sowing to the flesh, there will be weeping in due time. And you will reap corruption. Not because Pastor Jeff said so, because the word of God declares it. You will produce rotten fruit and it will bring death. Verse 21. Eternal death to the one who refuses to to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. For the Christian, listen, it will bring death to true freedom and abundant life in Christ. But to the one who says, Lord, you are truly my master, I will be your servant, and, and sow unto you the things of the kingdom. You of the Spirit will reap the holiness and everlasting life, and you will experience true freedom. Paul writes in Galatians 6, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We, we live in an agricultural area, don't we? We know, it was, we know that this spring there will be those who are going to be planting the ground, the fields out there. They'll water them. They'll, they'll work the ground. They'll, they'll take care of the, the fields. And over time, it's going to be a harvest. But it takes time. So every day, yield yourself to the Lord. <clears throat> it's the same with our spiritual lives we sow seeds of the spirit. We do what is right, good and acceptable to God. We have the soil of our hearts to be soft towards Him. Be watered with the word of God. Paul writes, you know, the water of the word that cleanses us, blesses us, that grows us. Don't grow weary in doing good. Sometimes we grow weary in doing good. Sowing good seeds. We think, Lord, nothing's happening. We get discouraged and then the enemy comes against us. And the Lord knows that. So he says, don't grow weary. You keep walking with him, knowing him, serving him. Enjoy him. Enjoy the freedom, the true freedom you have in Christ. And know that as you do, a good crop is coming, a harvest. Don't lose heart. And remember Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, that we went over not long ago. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, And they shall walk and not faint. Please remember that as we enter into a new year. And then the wages of sin is death as he ends the chapter. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we serve a master, you earn a, a wage. You serve sin, the wages is death. Serve the Lord the free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ. But as we serve him not only as Jesus said I came to give you life but life abundantly as well. It comes through him in greatest the day and greatest the year when we really make that our own. So Father, we thank you. <clears throat> we thank you so much for these truths that are given to us. And Lord, I pray that we would take them to heart. As we start a new year, Lord, if there's anyone here, first of all, then maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That he is your salvation. There is none other. You need to be forgiven. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he provided that forgiveness Jesus did by going to the cross and dying for you. He loves you. And he's calling you to himself to come. To be forgiven. To come in faith. <clears throat> to receive salvation. In the hope of heaven. And have right relationship with the Father. As you come in faith. As you, re- you repent. Quit going the direction you're going. Turn to Jesus. He loves you. He is your salvation. And you call upon him. You come just as you are. You say Jesus I come to you. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I confess that I am a sinner and I believe you died on the cross for me. You bore my sins upon yourself. You were buried. You rose again in your life speaking to me through your word. You're speaking to me by the Holy Spirit drawing me. So I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior, that this is now my gospel. Forgive me. Thank you for saving me and bringing me here. And I do want to know you and walk with you. I thank you for this new beginning that you've given to me. In Jesus' name. And listen, if you prayed that prayer, as we have a prayer team up front. We're going to end here in just a minute. I want you to come up and, and tell them the decision that you made. But, but for the one who may be here, maybe you've been pursuing too much of the world, sin, carnality, just being carnally minded focusing on the world, prioritizing the things of the world. The Lord is calling you home. Come back home and be spiritually minded. Come to me and live for me. And that's where you're going to enjoy true happiness and freedom and blessing in your life. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone in that state, they they would know that you desire for them once again to come. It's always the invitation is to come. And Lord, that for all of us, that we would live this new year for you. Lord, we have cares of life. We got jobs. We have bills to pay. We got all kinds of things that take place. But Lord, you are the priority. I pray you bless everyone here in every way. But blessing comes, true happiness and fulfillment, and a life living for you. May we understand that. Trust in you. Lord, I do pray. For those who find themselves at the end of the year with sorrow of heart and loss that you bring comfort and assurance even as we read last week that the coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of Emmanuel God with us that he is with you he's with you and it's more than he's for you he's with you to bring the comfort that you need and the strength that you need and the wisdom and assurance. Lord, I pray that you would bring that to Lois and her family as they've experienced loss this week. I pray that for a church this morning that lost their pastor. Lord, I thank you that we have a living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray for your grace to be abundantly given to us in our time of need. Lord, I pray you bless everyone here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?